Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So you want to try this? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I was playing with the dogs and I got them all wound up in the other room. And nothing ever good comes from that, so I'm not sure if they're going to settle down for us to do the podcast or not. Let's let's shoot for low-level snortles, hmm? You talking to me or the dogs? Oh, either one. Remember the time I was playing with the with the puppies and I and I had their little uh, slobbery uh, dog stuffy and I was throwing it around and they were chasing it and I threw it and <laughs> Willie Willie jumped up to grab it and bumped it with his nose and it landed in your plate of spaghetti. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a good time. That was hilarious for you. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoy that story very much. All right, so let's get to it before they get too snortly. Yes, please. You go first. All right, so imagine that you are pregnant with babies. Um, It's usually how that works. And you discover that you have twins, and that's great, and you're excited about the fact that you're going to have two babies come out of you. And then you have them, and you have to have an emergency C-section because things are kind of meh during during the 10-hour labor. Um, so you are sent uh, to another part of the hospital to start recuperating from your, your emergency surgery. Uh, your babies are taken away. You're then sent home to recover. Still haven't seen your babies. Uh-oh. And they, they're kind of like, no, no, they're fine. Don't look at them. No, no, no. Yeah. 
That's that's very ominous. So that's what happened to this young lady in India in 2004. She was pregnant with twins. That whole sitch happened with the emergency C-section. She was sent home. Her husband, who had been away on work, came home five days later with a newspaper and said, this is our baby. What? Oh, no. On the front page of the newspaper was a picture of one of their babies who had been born with a parasitic twin. Oh. That baby had two heads. The baby had two heads, and they didn't tell the mother. They didn't tell the mother. And she found out because her husband read about it in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's pretty horrible. Oh, my God. So... Craniopagus parasiticus is an extremely rare type of parasitic twinning that occurs in about four to six of every 10 million births. Now, how do I say this with, with respect? Did they, were they both separate consciousnesses? That's an interesting question, and we're going to get to that. Okay. Man, you ask questions right off the bat and don't... I'm so sorry. Come I on. Just, you know, I'm. that's me. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a... You're a curious kind of guy. I am curious like a cat. That's why they call you whiskers. Yeah. Parasitic twins occur when a twin embryo begins developing in utero, but the pair does not fully separate, and one embryo maintains dominant development at the expense of its twin. Unlike conjoined twins, one ceases development during gestation and is vestigial to a mostly fully formed, otherwise healthy individual twin. So the underdeveloped twin is defined as parasitic rather than conjoined because it's incompletely formed or wholly dependent on the bodily functions of the complete fetus. Okay. That makes sense? It does, but but is the... I hate using the word parasitic twin, but is the parasitic twin aware? We're getting there. Oh, okay. I thought, okay. In Craniopagus parasiticus, a parasitic twin head with an underdeveloped body is attached to the head of a developed twin. So there are parasitic twins of all different types, but this one particularly, the Craniopagus parasiticus, is a head attached to a head. Fewer than a dozen cases of this type of conjoined twin have been documented in literature, and most infants in this condition are stillborn or they die shortly after birth. Oh my God. I watched a documentary today called Born with Two Heads, and it's about Manar, who was born in Egypt in 2004. She and her twin were both born, quote unquote, healthy, uh, but she had this vestigial twin head attached to her head. So Menar's twin went home with the family, um, but she had to stay in the hospital for um, 10 months because this she couldn't roll over. She couldn't lift her head because she had this other head attached to oh her. God. And it was like the same size as her head? Yes. Or, oh, my God. The concern with Menar was that her parasitic twin was entirely dependent on her blood system right that twin head could not survive on its own it had a brain mm -hmm. 
um, a fully formed brain, but no other organs. I mean, obviously it had skin, but it didn't have any other major organs okay. like um, okay. kidneys or liver, uh, no arms, no legs, um, just a head. Um, and a little bit of a, a torso. There were some rib bones and a little bit of a spine, but nothing that would have allowed um, that that baby to to live sure. on its own. Sure. And so, in the documentary, they did talk a little bit with the doctors about the moral dilemma there, because that that twin head was showing reflexive skills so it was trying to suckle and it was blinking and um she would be awake when manar was asleep or she would um sleep when manar was awake and so sad it's terrible and they they knew that she was aware but there was no possibility of life for her. Mm. And Manar was getting more and more ill because she was having to create blood flow for sure. herself and for this parasitic twin. Um, about a year before this had happened, there was a pioneering 12-hour procedure uh, by an international team of doctors who had tried to separate Rebecca Martinez, a seven-week-old infant from the Dominican Republic, from her parasitic head that was actually growing faster than her own head. No kidding. Um, so it would have killed her. Um, the operation to save Rebecca at the hospital involved a team of 18 doctors working in shifts. The surgery was was successful gall of the parasitic twin to cover the hole that was left when they separated um, the babies. Uh, But because of that huge amount of blood that was lost during the surgery, her kidneys couldn't keep up with it. And when she started to bleed later, um, just hours after the surgery, her kidneys couldn't create that um, coagulant to to stop the bleeding. And she bled to death. So how old was she? She was seven weeks old. Oh, my God. And so the Egyptian doctors in Menar's situation are looking back at that, and um, it's a, a recent operation that they had the ability to learn from, sure. and they thought, you know, we can do this. We can do this better. And there was some discussion of, should we send her to another hospital? Should we send her overseas to do this? But since no place had been able to do this successfully, they figured, why not here? So they, um, at, at 10 months old, they performed this surgery and, um, it was of course an incredibly long ordeal, um, and, and terrifying because they didn't know what they were going to see as they were cutting into these, these heads and where to separate the, mm. the brains that were connected. Um, it was, it was, it was a big thing. Wait, wait, wait. Both of the brains, although they were individual, mm-hmm. were connected. Correct. Oh my God. And, and because obviously the parasitic twin hadn't formed the way that a normal and i hate using the word normal but i mean obviously uh than a normal baby would have uh, there were veins where there shouldn't have been veins there were arteries where there shouldn't have been arteries you know things were all jumbled in there and so it was they were going kind of going in there blind i mean they had an idea because they had x-rays and and you know, it's there's only so much that you can learn about the insides of a head before you look at the insides of a head. You know, that is so true. My grandmother used to say that all the time. 
she would say, Jethro, come over here. And she'd put me up on her knee mm-hmm. and she would uh, pat my hand and she'd say, Jethro, dearie. And then she'd just say whatever you said about heads. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, in this situation as well, they ended up using skull from mm-hmm. The uh, parasitic twin's head uh, to cover the hole that was left from, yeah. Waste not, want not. That's what I say. Oh. What? And and she survived. It was a successful surgery and um, they were very excited about the fact that 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 she made it through this this process that's pretty wonderful the the day after the surgery Minar's parents took the the twin um who they named and buried through the whole time you know the the mother's doing this interview in this documentary which by the way is called born with two heads and she's you know, so loving and and caring about it. And she she says, you know, even though I knew that this baby couldn't live on its own, it was part of me. It was my baby. And it was just, it was, it was very emotional. So Manar may have had some, some brain damage um, from uh, the fluids that built up around her brain. And they were concerned about her development. She was much smaller than her twin. Um, but they did finally get to bring her home, and she lived for about a year before she ended up getting a brain infection and passing away. No. Um, but she and her family had that year where she could, um, you know, grow and be independent of of her parasitic head. I don't know how to be sensitive about this. There's I feel, really no way. No, I, I mean, feel the word, awful. The word parasitic alone right is hard to say when you're talking about a person a blinking baby a blinking suckling baby yeah yeah and i don't want to say twin because she has a twin her twin lives at home you know she she has that you know so it's confusing and hard and i feel horrible Mm. Uh, but she was just the the sweetest little baby, and she she lived to be about two years old, and passing away because of that brain infection. But she was so susceptible to so many things because of this situation. The first case on record of craniopagus parasiticus was of the two-headed boy of Bengal. He was born in a small village in Bengal in 1783 to a poor farming family. He was born and almost immediately died because the midwife who delivered him freaked out and tried to throw him into a fire. He survived, though. And um, he survived the fire. He survived the fire. He was pretty badly burned. He had uh, a good burn around his eye, his ear, his upper head. He managed to survive, though. Um, The boy had one head on top of the other. So the second head in the case of the boy of Bengal, ended in a stump. His eyes and ears were not fully developed. Um, but in this case as well, the the parasitic twin appeared to function separately. The boy showed emotions like crying or smiling, but the second head wouldn't always match them. When the main head was fed, the second one would produce saliva and would attempt to suckle. Um, oh, my just, God. Yeah. Wow. And I, I imagine back in, in those days, I mean, that was probably the, the midwife's reaction of throwing him in the fire. 
probably was a probably was not an uncommon reaction when something like this would happen. They would be immediately would think demonic uh, right. activity or witch, witchcraft or yeah, yeah. Right. And it appears as though the medical situation and the medical needs of this boy were not real high priority. His parents did begin to realize that people would pay to see him. And so they they began to exhibit him in Calcutta. Um, He didn't seem to suffer any real serious illnesses related to the condition. And uh, he lived to the age of four when he died of a cobra bite. Wow. Really? That's what did him in? Yeah. A cobra. And it, it's it's awful because um, that's when he really saw medical attention. Um, before then, there wasn't a lot um, investigated into his situation. And um, it was only after he died that medicine was able to examine his case. And it says in this article, after much unseemly business... And so I did a little investigating hmm, into what much unseemly business meant. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, the boy was buried outside of the city of Tumlock, but the grave was soon robbed by a man named Mr. Dent, who was a salt agent for the East India Company. And uh, he stole the body and dissected it and gave the skull to Captain Buchanan of the East India Company. What for? Just as, just as some bric-a-brac for his den? Yeah. Buchanan brought the skull to England where it ended up in the hands of his close friend, Edward Holm. Uh, so, I mean, that's the worst. And I, I can't even imagine thinking that that's okay. But Mr. Dent did dissect the heads and discovered that the brains in this case were separate and distinct. And... Each brain was enveloped in its proper coverings. It appeared that uh, both brains received the nutrients that required to sustain life. Um, And so there were things learned from it, but that's not how we do things, Mr. Dent. No. You don't go around stealing dead baby corpses. No, and then giving parts to your friends. That's gross. That's just, that's bad form, sir. The skull of the boy of Bengal can be seen at the Hunterian Museum of the Royal College of Surgeons at London. So, shouldn't they return that skull to the I feel like surviving yes. family members or it might descendants? Be, it might be one of those times where maybe enough time's gone by and they're like, "Meh, well, you know." Mm. I mean, we take mummies sure. and how far back in history is it not desecration? Uh it, it's just learning. It's an interesting question. It's yeah. That's about what I've got on uh, parasitic head twins. Wow. Yeah. It's so upsetting because there is that that interest, of course, and that um, curiosity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, I mean, when you realize that it's a, a functioning brain and an aware person, it just, it brings that party way down. It, it does. And, and it, you can't help but wonder what they were aware of. Was it just, you know, reflexive behavior that was that was taking place or were they somewhat conscious of what was going on around them? Well, in Minar's case, it's hard to say with um, the case of the boy of Bengal. And I don't I don't know that there's that much information about him. But um, in Minar's case, you could see that that parasitic head twin was aware of what was going on. You know, Mm. she could be soothed. There were smiles 
and she would look at you. You know, there was obviously consciousness. There was obviously awareness. Again, in the documentary, they talked about, you know, what is the the lesser of the two evils? And you have to make a choice or you're making a choice. You know, if you don't make that choice, you're choosing to let both of them die. And so... Yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. No. Because you are sentencing a person to death. Right. It's an interesting ethics question. For sure. Cheaty would hate that. You're forking right, he would. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle from Strange Histories, The Bathroom Reader. You can find the link to that book on our Goodreads page. Well, I want to take you back to the 1850s. Pete Conklin was working as a lemonade vendor for the Maybe Circus. One hot day, people were clamoring for his lemonade. Business was so brisk, he had to make a batch in a hurry and used a bucket of water from a nearby tent. When he poured his first glass, he noticed the lemonade was pink. Conklin, quick on his feet, began selling his mistake as strawberry lemonade. But what had actually made that lemonade pink? Well, it was the red tights of a fellow circus performer that had been soaking in that bucket of water Conklin had used. Mmm, circus performer sweat lemonade, my favorite. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. No one knows better than me. Is that the end of your statement? Yeah. Okay. No. Okay, see ya. Good night, everyone. <laughs> when you partner with someone, you want them to be the best. That's what I did. What do you mean? Oh, okay. I thought you meant when you partner with somebody who's broken and flawed, you want to make them better. <laughs> That's what I thought you meant. Which would also work. All right, that works too. Um, It's true in the case of Calm as well. We partnered with Calm and we're so excited about it because they are the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. And for good reason. They were named Apple's 2017 App of the Year. That's why we're partnered with them. They give you the tools that you need to live a happier, healthier, more mindful life. And we've talked about this many times on the show, how you and I both deal with social anxiety. And we found that taking time for yourself makes a really big difference in managing that. And the Calm app can help you make time for yourself. So if you head to calm.com. That's C-A-L-M dot com. Slash box. Slash box. You'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programming, which includes guided meditations on issues like stress, anxiety, focus, and relationships, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. One of the things that we like the most about the Calm app, the sleep stories. We listen to them together. We just listened to one called uh, Two Shades of Blue, and it's a sleep story about a trip to a deserted island off the coast of Thailand and living in a hut there and listening to the waves crash on the shore. and the I'm two- already relaxed. Yeah, just thinking about it makes us relaxed. And that's one of the magical things about these sleep stories. You can think back to them and they still work. It's like you can be there again. 
I mean, because we've talked about our anxiety issues, we get emails from people who who deal with similar situations. We got one from one of our listeners in Ireland who said that uh, she enjoys the podcast because she has anxiety and depression and the show has, quote, seriously helped me just chill out, keep me company driving and help me be more productive because I get stuff done while listening. We appreciate that, but you can take it up a notch by taking advantage of that 25% off the Calm Premium subscription. This is what I'm talking about with the partnership, right? <laughs> Partners. Calm, C-A-L-M dot com, C-O-M slash box. Get started today. Calm.com slash box. Calm.com slash box. And in addition to that, you're supporting the podcast and we appreciate that. Calm.com slash box. If you're a small business owner, or you're thinking about starting a small business, and especially if you're a creative type like an artist or a photographer, a wedding planner, there are a lot of challenges, especially if you're a one-person show. I was actually reading an article about what it takes to be a solopreneur, and the list is long, and a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with the thing that you're creating. If you're a caterer, a lot of business stuff doesn't have anything to do with making food and giving it to people. That's really true. And that's, as a creative person, why you want to start your own business or why you have your own business, because it'll be fun. I get to do what I love doing. And that's true. However, with that comes stuff that's not fun, like proposals, like prospecting, like billing, like collecting. What small business owner wants to spend their time on that kind of stuff? The paperwork, the emails, dealing with payment collection. That's why there's HoneyBook. HoneyBook is a purpose-built business management platform for the creative small business. And it was made by small business owners, so they know what it takes. They're taking all the boring paperwork stuff and streamlining it and freeing you up to create better, more creative product. Saving you hundreds, if not thousands of hours a year by adding time-saving automation into your business. It's like magic. And it's simple. And that's why for a limited time, Box of Oddities listeners can get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code BOX. You have so many amazing things that you can do. Do them, but do them smarter with HoneyBook. Your membership includes unlimited access to all the features at one low monthly price. And again, as a Box of Oddities listener, you get 50% off your first year by going to HoneyBook.com today. Use promo code BOX to get started. That's HoneyBook.com, promo code BOX box. That'll get you 50% off your first year and show your support for the show. This is a test of the Box of Oddities emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Had this been an actual Box of Oddities, I'd be talking a lot faster. So we were talking today about how Halloween's coming up and how it might be kind of a cool idea to to do a bonus episode that, that drops on Halloween night. Um, Yeah. With fun, crazy, creepy stories. But we don't want to have to do the work. So we were wondering if maybe you, our freak family, if you've had a creepy experience, maybe you've uh, you've been involved in some sort of, some would say, paranormal activity. Did you see a ghost? Was there some kind of unexplained phenomena that had taken place that you were involved in? Tell us the story. Tell it well. Make sure the audio's good. Have a point. <laughs> just record it on 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 your cell phone like you're just telling the story to a friend and then email it to us curator 
at theboxofoddities.com, and perhaps you'll be featured on the, uh, the Halloween episode. Make sure it's true, though. Don't make some shit up. I want to hear your true life story, your true creepy creepies. Cat could ferret out that bullshit a mile away. And speaking of Halloween, uh, the new version of Halloween's coming out this month. And did you see I tweeted the new trailer for the new Pet Cemetery? I did not see that. Fuck. Say, that's a Stephen King novel, is it not? Why, yes, Jethro, it is. Stephen King, main horror novelist. And a guy who lives down the street from us. By the way, he is a very considerate neighbor. We have some other neighbors um, with uh, various yard decorations like bathtubs. You never have that problem with Stephen King. No, (laughs) Stephen King has never decorated his yard with broken bathroom fixtures. And if there's anything that everyone knows about Stephen King, it's that he has a tidy yard. So with uh, the new Halloween coming out, I was thinking about about the movie. Haven't seen it for a while. Uh, Love it. But... um, Started wondering if the character Michael Myers was based on a real person or not, or if it was just total fiction. Ooh. Which is weird because my buddy Lindsay then w- sent me a link to a uh, an Esquire magazine article called The Untold Story of the Real Person Who Inspired Halloween's Michael Myers. I didn't know that was a thing. Well, I think it's weird that, that Lindsay sent that to me without even knowing that that was something I was thinking about. I think that should be on the Halloween episode because that's paranormal. You know what? That doesn't uh, meet my requirements. Don't bother. (laughs) So Michael Myers, of course, the evildoer in the movie Halloween, the original 1978 movie with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and, of course, some of the subsequent sequels. He wasn't in all the Halloween movies, which I thought was weird. But you know his story. He was a young boy who murders his sister, Judith Myers, and then 15 years later returns... To murder more teenagers, because that's what he does. Sure. You do what you do best. That's another thing my grandmother used to put me on her knee and tell me. Yeah. Jethro. And then she'd say a bunch of shit. So was Michael Myers based on a real person? Was there somebody who grew up with murderous tendencies, killed off their family, was sent to a um, an institution, was institutionalized, then got out and came back and murdered a bunch of other people? What was the inspiration for that? There are multiple Halloween fan sites online that claim that Michael Myers was in part based on a guy named Stanley Styers. Stanley Styers. Right, Stanley Styers, who allegedly went on a killing spree in Iowa in the 1920s, murdering his entire family and basically setting a template for Michael Myers' character. I came across a virgin. virgin. Freudian. Freudian slip. Freudian slip. (laughs) I came across a a telling of the uh, story of Stanley Styers. Uh, This comes from mysticinvestigations.com. Now, according to this site, Stanley Styers was born in 1912. And he went on his killing spree. Most most of it happened in the 20s. And of course, quite a bit of the uh, Halloween background is is fictionalized. But according to this uh, this website, Stanley's dark journey into uh, diabolical damnation uh, began early. He was adopted by uh, a couple who were, Aww. well, you would say awe until you realized that they were drunkards who abused him. Oh. They had a child of their own, a daughter. The daughter would get everything that she wanted and was doted upon, whereas Stanley 
was abused. He was beaten. He was um, locked in his room and not fed for long periods of time. His stepsister, whose name was Susie, was treated pretty much like, like a princess. But as he continued to grow older, he was more and more abused. As the story goes on Halloween 1923, Stanley, who was 11 years old, at the time was told that he was not going to be allowed to go trick-or-treating again. I guess every year he wanted to go trick-or-treating. Sure. And they would let his sister, his stepsister go, but they would not let him. And it happened again when he was 11. And as the story goes, he snapped. When his sister got home, he pulled a butcher knife out of the kitchen drawer and uh, took down everyone in the family. Oh, man. Killed his sister killed his adopted uh, parents, both the father and the mother, and even killed the family dog. No. Snookers. No. Mr. Snookers. That dog never did anything to you, Stanley. Now, again, this happened on Halloween Eve, the night before Halloween. Okay. It's not known what he did during the day, Halloween day, but that night he finally went trick-or-treating for the very first time. Aw. Now, he was dressed... In a costume, many say in a costume similar to what Michael Myers wears, you know, oh. with the with the mask and, and all that. Did he look like William Shatner? It is modeled after Shatner, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember you telling me about that. How does that go? Um, it was something to do with the, uh, the funds that they had for making the mask were not high, and they <laughs> had a mold of William Shatner's face for some reason at the... <laughs> At the studio or something. I don't remember how it goes. All I know is that Michael Myers' face is a mold of William Shatner's face. That's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing and beautiful and handsome as heck. Your teeth look very white today, by the way. Did you whiten them? Uh, I've been whiting, whitening them, yes. You're looking rather dapper. Thank you. Getting ready for our photo shoot. I want to whiten my teeth. Okay. Okay. So Stanley put on his William Shatner mask... <laughs> <laughs> and went out and murdered a bunch of bullies. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. He was all costumed up, so they didn't know you know, who it was, but he killed a number of his bullying classmates, and some were much bigger than him. Mm-hmm. In one instance, he invaded the home of a classmate, uh, and he took out their entire family. Oh, no. Single-handedly. And survivors said that he appeared to have almost superhuman strength in the sense that uh, he picked up this one bully who was much, much bigger than him and older and uh, threw him across the room. Oh, wow. Like a rag doll. And then he impaled him on a big butcher knife. Oh, my goodness. Did he also inevitably catch up with people who were running even though he never runs? Because that's some supernatural shit right there. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. But that part of the story is what led to, in theory, what led to uh, Michael Myers having superhuman strength, how he could get shot six times and then just walk away from it. You right. know? Now, Stanley was captured by law enforcement uh, the next morning, sunrise. He was sitting in a school playground on a swing, gleefully eating candy. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he, he got his candy. He got his candy. So they put him in custody and uh, he was institutionalized. And then in 1936, when he was 24 years old on Halloween night, he snapped again. (gasps) Now, at this point, he was six foot four, 260 pounds. Very, very strong guy. Yeah. There were rumors that he uh, actually lifted a car and moved it so he could 
make his getaway. Oh, wow. Killed a couple of people at the institution and disappeared and was never heard from again. But whenever a murder would take place on Halloween, and there have been, you know, of course, murders on Halloween, he gets blamed for it. Even today, they say he is still out there at 106 years old or whatever he is, murdering people on Halloween night. It's a cool story, but I don't think it's true. What? Well, he can't be 106. Well, no, but what part of it isn't true? Like his being a, a thing? Is that part not true? I spent some time trying to corroborate this story and wasn't able to. Uh, There doesn't seem to be anything online anywhere that says that this is actually true, other than it shows up on fan blogs and horror blogs and and that sort of thing. However, I did find... There better be a however. I I got onto Ancestry.com and I looked up Stanley Styers and I put those dates in. There are several. There are several on there mm-hmm. that fit that that time frame. That and time that, frame that that could be, you know. Did the rest of his family tree just kind of stop at that at yeah. that time period? I didn't, you know, I should have researched that too. That yeah. that probably would have been would have been good. Yeah, a new leaf would have shown up. <laughs> but it's probably it's probably just a an urban legend. Dang it! However, John Carpenter. In uh, the documentary, A Cut Above the Rest, which is a documentary about Halloween, says that Michael Myers is based on a real person, but maybe not quite the way that that you think it is. Meaning? Myers is depicted as a mythic, elusive boogeyman, one of superhuman strength who cannot be killed by bullets, stab wounds, or fire. But Carpenter's inspiration for the evil that Michael would embody came when he was in college. He was, uh, he was taking a psychology class, and they took a uh, field trip to a mental institution in Kentucky, according to Wikipedia. Carpenter visited the, uh, quote, most serious mentally ill patients. Among those patients was a young boy about 12 or 13 years old. The boy gave this, quote, schizophrenic stare, as Carpenter said, a real evil stare. He found it very unsettling, very creepy, completely insane. Carpenter's experience would inspire the characterization that they would give to um, Michael Myers. In the Esquire article, John Carpenter said that um, that kid literally had this look. And that is what inspired the character, was just this evil look. That dead eye. He said the look is best described by the line he gave to Donald Pleasance, who played Myers psychiatrist Dr. Sam Lewis in Halloween. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wrote this based on his description of the, uh, of the, of the patient that he, that he observed. Quote, this blank, pale, emotionless face, blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. So that's what inspired the character. Interesting. Was it built upon with the Stanley Styers legend, whether it's real or not? Did he hear that and add to the story that way? I don't know. Who knows? Could happen. But the character really, and no pun intended, cuts to the core, doesn't it? I mean, the whole idea of there being just such a black, dark, evil creature like that lurking behind somebody's eyes. And you never know. You might run into that person on your way home. You just don't know. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why that film has become 
so iconic over the years. It plays off that um, that primal fear that we all have. For sure. And because it's um, there's no part of the movies that say like he's a paranormal thing. There's no he's uh, he was injected by venom from a spider. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's none of that. It's he's portrayed as a dude and there's something gone wrong, but we're not exactly sure what. And he's supernatural in some ways, but we don't know why. And there's that there's that level of creepy because we don't understand it. And there was that one scene and I don't remember which which sequel it was where you could see at one point a tear coming down his cheek. They actually showed him having human emotion, which made it even more creepy. I don't remember that at all. I think we have to rewatch them. <laughs> well, it is that time of year. Yay. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It is. And I think that uh, Halloween 2018 should be a date night. When's it coming out? That comes out uh, October 19th, the new version of Halloween. Yeah, we'll go. We'll be there for that. So there you go. Just kind of getting amped up for Halloween a couple of weeks in advance, both the movie and the night. And don't forget, we are going to try to drop a bonus episode on Halloween, but we need you to do the work for us. So if you've got a scary story that's real, something that you, you that's happened to you mm. or somebody that you know, don't be making stuff up. But record it on your cell phone and email it to us at curator at the box of oddities.com. I don't even want it happened to someone I know. I want it to have happened to you. Unless it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, if it's really good, send it in. Box of Oddities, twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Don't forget to uh, check out our merch on our website. Did you see that kitten wearing a onesie? So cute. <laughs> yeah, somebody sent us a picture of their kitty wearing a Box of Oddities onesie. We don't have any pet Box of Oddities merch. We should, uh, we should invest in that. Absolutely. I'll get right on that. So have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.